Right now in traditional and modern worship, our pastors are focusing on unexpected acts. The Gospel of Luke concludes where Acts begins, and the unexpected acts of changed lives and growing churches mentioned therein are inspirited by the unexpected acts of the resurrected Christ. Our pastor's sermons note the prequels and sequels, the befores and afters of the lives and events captured throughout this book. As we continue our journey through the book of Acts, uh, under the uh, theme of unexpected acts, uh, today our scripture comes from Acts 9, uh, a strange happening at the home of Tabitha. Uh, Hear these words. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. It means beautiful deer. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, uh, Tabitha became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that uh, Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas, uh, Tabitha, had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down, and he prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. We'll learn what happens at Simon the Tanner's house with Peter next week. But for today, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. What if this morning I could give you the secret to being completely content in your life. You know, our uh, culture is just obsessed with happiness. Think about it for a moment. How many of our conversations revolve around us being happy? Am I with the right person? Am I following my passions? Am I doing what I love? What is my purpose in life? Am I as happy as I should be? It seems that happiness has become the overachiever's trophy, right? The modern trump card, it outranks professional achievement, social success, and friendships. We can even use the word happiness to belittle others. Well, I suppose he's okay. He's got the perfect job. And he's got season tickets, but is he really happy? 
Of course he's happy. <laughs> he's got the perfect job. He's got season tickets. We have an obsession with happiness. And why shouldn't we? It's, it's in our declaration of independence, the pursuit of happiness. However, anytime we layer our culture's definition of something on top of something that is spiritual, it becomes complicated. Because we all know that spiritual happiness has nothing to do with the absence of pain and suffering. Happiness is about having a new life, a new life in Jesus. Uh, as we walk through the book of Acts in this sermon series, we, we know that, that Acts is the sequel to the gospel of Luke. And if you remember, in the gospel of Luke, the disciples are kind of fumble over themselves trying to get it right because they're misunderstanding what Jesus is asking them to do. But when we get to the book of Acts, they begin to do some pretty unexpected things. They get it together. They're able to lead people into a way of new life. You know, uh, I've kind of learned that we pastor types, we'll let something get stuck in our heads and, and it's really hard to shake it. And for the last month or so, what's been kind of stuck in my head is questions. It seems the more I learn about my faith and this journey that I'm on, the, the more questions that I have rather than answers. And we live in a time in a world where, where we just value so much being right and having the right answers that we forget. And this is what's been eating at me. Jesus was asked 183 questions in the Gospels and he directly answered three of them. Jesus was okay with questions. As I look at this passage that Pastor Bill read for us, one of the questions that, that I ask myself is, is, who is this story about? What, who is the star of this story? Is it Peter who, who raises Tabitha from the dead and gives her literal new life? Or is it Tabitha who gives new life to others by how she lives her life. The story of Peter raising Tabitha from the dead parallels a story in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 8 when Jairus' daughter is healed by Jesus. They, they have some similar things in their stories, both communities surrounding Jairus' daughter and Tabitha want Jesus to come and heal both accounts, these miracles happen in private. And there's a question, why send everybody out of the room? You know, they did that in Luke with Jairus' daughter. Jesus sent everyone out but Peter, James, and John. 
And, and here in our story, Peter sends everyone out. Well, why, does it, why do they do this? Is there a part of them that's going, I'm not really sure if this is gonna work, so everybody get out. Or, or maybe it's not about showing off. In, in both accounts, the deceased comes back to life after being ordered to give up. It's, it's a story where we see Peter finally getting it, finally following in the footsteps of Jesus and doing what Jesus has asked them to do. However, there are some differences in this, these two stories. In the Luke 8 account, once Jairus' daughter dies, his community tells him, don't bug Jesus with this anymore. But in our text, after Tabitha dies, they go sin for Peter and say, please come straight away. Don't delay. People laugh when Jesus suggests that Jairus' daughter is probably just sleeping. But people in our story believe that Peter can raise Tabitha from the dead. Now, this, this story of Tabitha comes immediately after another healing when Peter heals uh, Aeneas and shares a familiarity with it as well. Both Tabitha and Aeneas are both people who are on the margins of life. The story also offers some unexpected details about a biblical female character. You know, like right when this story starts, they call Tabitha a disciple. She is a leader within the church. And, and many times women are mentioned in the Bible, they're not even named, but Tabitha gets two names. Dorcas and Tabitha. These, for that audience, would have been some unexpected details in the story, which leads us to say what, or ask what was going on here. Our text, should, it says that the, the widows showed Peter the garments that she had made for them. It, it, it's a sign that there was a community of believers living out their faith together, a group like a family that cares for one another. Her compassion, Tabitha's compassion, was offering new life to people in her community. For us, to follow in the footsteps of these disciples, to follow in Tabitha and Peter's footsteps and do some unexpected acts for God, we need to build a community that offers new life to all people. What kind of church do you think God is calling for us to be here at Asbury United Methodist Church? Are we a place where we've already figured it out 
And so we just want to surround ourselves with people who believe like us, or are we a play people who can have a place to come together and say, I just don't know everything, but I'm willing to live life with you and discover ways that we can offer new life in Jesus. I believe that, that we're a church that believes that everyone's important and that everyone has something to bring. And believing that and living it out are two totally different things. It's challenging to be a place where we live with a diversity of thought about God. It's not easy. If you follow me on Facebook, you can learn a little bit about who I am. One, you learn that I'm a terrible Facebook friend. I'm very selfish when it comes to my Facebook world. If, if you've uh, like invited me to be your friend on Facebook or sent a message to me and I have not responded, that's about right, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I did see this on Facebook this past week and I shared it. It comes from a pastor friend of mine in Calera and he said in his sermon last week to his church, he said, we the church like to say, come as you are until they come as they are. I resonated with that, not because I think that the church is bad. I connected with it because it says how hard it is to be a church that's open to giving all people a new life in Christ. One of the things we get anxious about in the church is the difference between who we really are, who we know ourselves to be when we look at ourselves in the mirror, and who God wants us to be. In very churchy language, we call this sanctification. Uh, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, uh, would say that it's moving on to perfection. Now, I tell you what, if that doesn't make you anxious, I don't know what will, <laughs> to think that we're moving on to perfection. Wesley described moving on to perfection this way. He was uh, in ministry in the 1700s, so words mean a little bit different. Here's, here's what he described it. Uh, moving on to perfection at its heart means habitually filled with the love of God and neighbor. To be in process of being who God wants us to be means that we have a habit of loving God and loving our neighbor. You know, one of the things that, that we get so frustrated with is that transformation isn't something that happens overnight. It, it's something that takes time. It takes small changes over time in order for us to become transformed. For us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and the disciples and do unexpected acts for God, how can we, I call it bridge the gap, how can we bridge the gap and build a community that offers life to all people? Well, one of the things we need to do is we need to provide things for our community rather than just our church. In the church world, it is so comfortable 
to rely on the things that we know that we all like and we know that brings us joy and growth. And that is not bad. We need to offer things so that our church community can grow with each other, both theologically and socially. But unless we're offering things to the community, we are not offering new life to all people. In verse 39, it says, so Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. One of the questions that, that comes to my mind in, in reading this story is where were the male characters from the church in Joppa? Now, don't worry, guys. This is not a male bashing uh, moment. This is just an acknowledgement that in that world, the men were in charge of everything. And so a lack of male characters there suggests that what she was doing was outside of the structure of the church. She was living out her faith in what she was doing. I think it's important to note that this was a group of women who had built a community that was giving each other new life. Now, we're living in a post-Christian culture. I've said that before, and people get all excited when I say that, uh, but that phrase doesn't need to be charged because it doesn't sound near as bad as it is. A post-Christian society has an affinity to loving God and loving spirituality, but, but no longer sees the value in the institution of the church. The culture as a whole, not us because we're here, but the culture as a whole doesn't see the value in what we do as the church. The good news in all that is people are very open to spirituality and to connecting with Jesus. And we, Jesus followers, need to find a way to offer new life to people that's beyond what we do here in the worship hour. We need to provide ways for people to experience Christ. This means that we're going to have to put our purpose over our preference. Is our purpose to provide experiences for us or is our purpose to connect with people and have them experience new life? This is very challenging for us because our preferences are filled with events and things that we love and that are meaningful. However, if we're going to help others experience new life in Christ, we may have to let some stuff go. I worked with a pastor named Don Cross. He's retired now, and uh, he was just a wonderful mentor in the years that I worked with him. And the church he was serving at the time decided that they were gonna form a new uh, expression of worship to help reach out to the community. And as they began to research on how to start this service, one of the things they found was their current worship time wasn't helpful in guest coming because it was on off hour. I think it was 1045, 1050, something like that. 
And, and they decided the first thing they needed to do was just move their worship service to 11 o'clock on the hour so it would be more guest friendly. Now, this came with anxiety for people, and people didn't like it, but most people realized the purpose was more important than their preference except for one guy. And this guy fought it all the way. And he went to the church council, he went to the trustees, and him and Don ended up spending many times having conversation about a 10 to 15 minute change in a time of worship. And finally Don said, hey, if this change of worship time brought one person to Jesus, is it worth it? The problem was, it got in the way of his tea time. And if they were to change worship, he would have to change his tea time with his friends. And he said to Don, no, it's not worth it. Now, my hunch is he didn't believe that. My hunch is this man knew in his gut that people coming to Jesus was more important than his tea time. What it does show is how hard it is for us to put our purpose in front of our preferences. For us to do the unexpected acts and offer new life, we need to reach out to the community beyond just our worship hour, and we need to reach out to the margins. One of the things that I love about being a United Methodist pastor is that we believe in what John Wesley called acts of mercy. And acts of mercy are exactly what Tabitha and Peter were doing. Individual acts of mercy would include doing good works, visiting the sick, visiting people in prison, feeding the hungry, and giving generously to the needs of others. But we also, uh, Wesley believed in communal acts of work, uh, of mercy, which means working for fairness, to seek justice, to end oppression and discrimination. Did you know that John Wesley was one of the few that spoke out against slavery in the 1700s? Now, we, we Methodists, we're really good at giving our resources to help ministries do work with people in the margins, aren't we? We're, we're really good at that. In fact, uh, Pastor Bill was telling me this week, they went out to Eastlake and they were talking to Sally, their pastor, and, and Sally commented that they wouldn't be able to do some of the things they do without our generosity. So giving our resources is important and we need to be doing it, but it's not enough. We have to be in relationship with other people. We need to reach out to others, people who are on the margins of life. Tabitha had the money. She wouldn't have been able to provide them clothes without the money, but she did more. She became their friend and offered them new life. You know, when Tabitha died, they washed her body and they took her upstairs. The funeral burial norms of the day would have been to wash her body and to take her to the tomb. They wouldn't have waited. 
them taking her upstairs and putting her in a room shows a different level of respect and care for her. We have a missional relationship with uh, Costa Rica Mission Projects. Uh, We've been going uh, on mission trips to Costa Rica for well over 10 years. Now, the last two years we haven't due to COVID, but our mission and action team has sent the money that they would have spent on us sending us there straight to Costa Rica Mission Projects. So for the past two years, Costa Rica Mission Projects has gotten more money by us not going than by us going. And I was on a Zoom call with Will Bailey just just the other day, and we were talking about how good it was going to be to see each other. And I said, I bet you really don't want to see me because you've been getting more money from us (laughs) by us not going. And he said, Robert, absolutely not. The relationships far outweigh the financial resources. At the beginning of this teaching moment, I asked the question, What if I could give you the secret to living a completely contented life? And there is a magic bullet to that one. Most things there aren't. Of course, the magic bullet isn't so magic when you realize the secret to living a content and happy life is about following Jesus. Luke chapter 9, Jesus says this, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves. Take up their cross daily and follow me. All who want to save their life, lives will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me will save them. In verse 36, you see a hint of this kind of discipleship. In Tabitha, it says that Tabitha was devoted to good works and acts of charity. A more literal translation of this verse is she was full of good deeds and alms which she continually did. She daily took up her cross. And for us, the people of Asbury, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and Tabitha, and Peter, and do unexpected acts. We need to build a community that continually offers new life to all people. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for challenging us. Oh God, help us. Help us to be people who follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.